Hey guys, welcome to the Behavior Tech's Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Ms. Ashley, and I'm a behavior tech. Let's reinforce some of my behaviors. Hey friends, welcome back for episode two of Behavior Tech's Anonymous. I am your sponsor, Ms. Ashley. And today we're going to be talking about what a behavior technician is and how to become a registered behavior technician. So a behavior technician is somebody who works with a person that has some kind of behavioral need. Um, And I don't like to say like children with special needs because we work with more than just children. Now, primarily a behavior technician does work with children with autism. That's classically what we do. We can also work with adults that have autism, children and adults, both with um, other behavioral issues. So we're not just um, put into the box of just one of those things. So like how I said before, where I worked with um, children with autism in a clinic first, and then I started working with older kids at an elementary school that had significantly different needs. Um, The kids that I worked with at the school did not have autism. Not all of them had autism. Most of them had other disorders like OCD, ADD, ADHD, um, a lot of emotional disturbance disorders, just things of that sort. So just to keep that in mind that there are other options out there than just working with children with autism. And I also, you know, as I said before, have friends that have worked with adults and older children. And by older children, I mean um, teenagers. And I kind of want you guys to just keep that in mind as we go through this, because we're just going to be kind of discovering on if you want to be a technician and how you can really become one. So for here, we're going to really focus on being a registered behavior technician and kind of how to go about that, because that is a question that I see asked a lot of different places. So Again, the registered behavior technician term is a licensed term from the BACB, and it is defined on there as a paraprofessional certified in behavior analysis, which basically means that behavior technicians follow the instructions and plans of their respective um, BCBAs, which again is the board certified behavior analysts. Uh, It's important to remember that technicians are unable to create interventions and make any kind of decisions regarding the behavior plans or operate outside of their scope of practice. And we will kind of dive into more of the scope of practice as we go on throughout um, this podcast and other podcasts too. But you need to make sure that you are operating within um, your fidelity and integrity and ethically, because if you don't, the BACB will find you and they will kill your certification. Now, if you're not registered, it's still a slippery slope. You wanna make sure that you are representing the field appropriately and not ruining it for other people because ABA does get a bad name for its history and we wanna make sure that we are operating with the utmost respect that we can. So to be a registered behavior technician requires a couple things um, just from you as a person. You want to make sure that you can be patient, open-minded, and willing to grow. Those are like the top three personality traits for me personally. 
that would make a really great behavior technician. There are other things like being organized and professional, which are important, but can be learned. Uh, patience and having an open mind, they're extremely important because you need to have the ability to be able to take feedback and grow from the feedback without taking it as a personal attack. Um, I have, <laughs> I have been guilty of not being patient, which is something that I had to really focus on and try to like hone that skill. And I've always been patient for children, but it's for adults that I have struggled with. And in this field, you do have to work with a lot of adults. You know, like they're like, oh, I don't work well with others. Well, you're going to have to get over that because you need to be able to work well with others. You are not the captain of the ship. And even if you someday become the captain of the ship, you need to be able to treat other people with respect and patience and open-mindedness in order to kind of, you know, show them in the right direction. Anyway, so after all of that stuff, you might be thinking like, okay, got it, Ashley. I'm not the most patient person. I don't think this is for me. That's not totally true. Because like I said, I am not very patient with adults. That's something that I still struggle with to this day. There's a lot of coping strategies that I've had to learn, both through like my own personal therapy and from being coached from great BCBAs. And it's a big learning curve. It's really hard. I'm not going to sit here and be like, you can do it because it is, it's super hard. You can do it if you really try and you really want to put your mind to it, but just know it's going to wholeheartedly take a lot of effort on your part. Um, and as for open-mindedness, I don't struggle with open-mindedness again towards children. So keeping an open mind to me is being able to be flexible and kind of thinking outside of what you think is right, especially in the beginning, because sometimes with ABA, there are things that kind of counteractive what I thought, such as um, I saw a child crying and I was like, oh no, he's crying for baby. And I wanted to hug him and hold him and be like, hey, it's okay. We're okay. But then I learned about the functions of behavior and learned that I had made that behavior's function worse and ruined a lot of progress that other technicians had worked really hard to make. I, at first, was kind of like horrified, like, they're upset. Why are you not taking care of them when they are super upset like that? I have since then learned through an open mind that they really weren't that upset as in like emotional turmoil as they were upset that they couldn't get access to something. So like they were not able to have, what was it, like a candy bar and they were upset and they were crying. It was essentially a tantrum, but I seen them and I was like, oh, a baby, come here. So I needed to have an open mind in order to kind of switch that mindset. Um, which I know that is very hard for a lot of people who have worked with children before and then they come into ABA and they're like, mm, I don't know about this, which is another reason why I really do try to stress um, having an open mind and taking it one step at a time. Then there is the willingness to learn and you have to be able to want to learn. You will have to take the 40-hour training, which we're going to get into later. And then you're going to take like your competency and your exam. And you're going to pass to be the registered behavior technician. But then after that, a lot of us in the field think that that's it. 
that there's no more that you can learn and that you just have to focus on those things and nothing else. I think that that's very not true. I think that a lot of continuing educational opportunities aren't presented for technicians, which causes us to feel like, oh, well, this is all I need to know. This is it. Nothing more, nothing less. But you will be a better behavior technician if you have a willingness to learn and develop and focus on the changings in the field and be able to make your own educated opinion on certain things because it's okay to disagree with this and that, but it's not okay for you to just willingly be ignorant about it and to argue about it without actually knowing the facts or having like a sound opinion. Maybe that's just my opinion, but a willingness to learn goes a long way. And all of these kind of tie together with one of my most favorite examples when I'm training new technicians, which is um, like an aggressive episode. So a lot of times, um, you're probably going to get this more than once in your lives with in this field. But you will get a client who is extremely aggressive, both physically, verbally, and it's just going to drive you insane. They're going to give you a headache. You're going to have to sit there and you're going to have to wait it out, which is often what the behavior intervention plan suggests for those kinds of behaviors. So as an example, a fun little example or story that had actually happened to me, I had been a brand new technician, literally registered for not even a month. I want to say like two weeks. Um, I, the child that I was with had an explosive behavior, like explosive, throwing things, um, picking up shelves, tossing them around. And I was like, oh no, you know, because that's scary and you're brand new and you're like, okay, I need to show my stuff. I need to make sure that I know what I'm doing because there are other technicians around me, like watching me. So I was in there and I was like, okay, let's focus. What did the BIP say? What did the BIP say? So I kind of cleared the room, just like it said, as, as they were throwing things. And while they were throwing things, you know, stuff was like hitting me. It hit me in the face, hit me in the head. Um, one of them, it just like hit me in the back and I could feel it like hit my kidney. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and then, so I cleared out the room and they were still mad. They were pounding on the wall. They were screaming. They were just going ham. Okay. And I was like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? So after I cleared the room, I like, you know, I stood in the doorway, just like it said. And then I had to pull out the BIP and read it because I couldn't remember what I was supposed to do after I did all that stuff. And it said to wait it out. And I said, okay, wait it out. It didn't say how long I had to wait it out. It didn't say what I needed to do when I waited it out. It just said, wait it out. Don't make eye contact. And I said, okay. And I already knew that I wasn't supposed to talk because I had learned that the hard way in my trainings. So I stood there. I didn't make eye contact. This child was having the biggest tantrum I had ever seen anybody have. And I was, my heart was racing. My Apple watch was telling me that my heart rate was like 160 or something just from standing there. And I sat there and I waited and I waited and I waited and my BCBA had come up and she was like, hey, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And I told her everything that happened before and what caused it, which just so you guys know, was denied access. And she was like, okay, you're doing great. You just, you know, just hang on. And I was like, okay. And she's like, oh, by the way, are you, 
are you timing this? And I was like, oh, no, should I like start timing it? She was like, yeah. So we were recording the duration of it. And I said, okay, bet. So I start recording it. And I just tell her, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm sorry. And she's like, no big deal. Just start it from now. And then we'll figure it out later. And I said, okay. So I started the recording and I'm sitting there and I'm noticing that like a lot of time is passing by. And at this point, like I'm hearing the screams, they're ringing around in my head and I'm getting tired of standing there. I'm getting tired of standing there and being screamed at and hearing this kid like pound on the walls and call me names. (sighs) Literally 45 minutes goes by. Now the kid had stopped screaming and crying, but he was still walking around that room, like punching the floor, punching the walls. And he kept saying like, look at me, look at me, look at me. But I couldn't because I knew that if I did, I wouldn't be following the BIP. I was so stressed out. I was so sweaty. Just standing there like waiting for him to stop. And it was on my recorded thing. It said 52 minutes. I remember that vividly. 52 minutes since I had started recording. And I don't even know how long it was before I had started the recording. Maybe five minutes. Could have been 10. Could have been 15. I don't know because I was so stressed out in that moment. And after he finally, he just stopped. He just stopped, looked at me, and then did the command, the SD, the command, and he had sat down. That's what I had told him to do before the behavior started, was sit down. And he did it. And then my BCBA had come back, and she was like, okay, now that he has been sitting for five minutes, go ahead and engage with him again. And I turned and I did, and he stood up and he immediately like hit the wall and she was like, okay, come back. So I stood back in that doorway and he sat back down and she walked me through like how to like, you know, reintroduce myself back in there. But still, I mean, it worked, but I, 52 minutes of my first big explosive behavior And I'm telling you, the headache that I had afterwards, I was sweaty. I know that I was pale looking. I was so stressed out. I was so tired. And I had only worked with this kid for about, I want to say it was three hours. It was like a three-hour session. And for at least a recorded 52 minutes of that was in a behavior. I know that in my heart of hearts that I had patience for children right then and there like okay like I could have sat there for maybe (laughs) for maybe 20 minutes more before asking somebody to switch but you know like they were telling me when I was in training like you want to try to like stay with the behavior as long as you can and I was like okay so that's what I'm gonna do that's something else about Miss Ashley like I'm hard-headed but I was getting stressed out I was so tired and in the hindsight maybe I should have just advocated for myself and been like hey I need a break but that's not where this story begins this story begins with me being a people pleaser and also trying to be the best little baby behavior technician I could have been so the patience and the open-mindedness and the willingness to learn from the BCBA even though I was doubting her and doubting the behavior plan and not knowing if this was going to just actually stop I thought this was going to last for years I thought I was going to be standing there for years but it did work I never had another explosive episode like that with him again 
because he knew that no matter what he did, I wasn't going to give in. I seen him act like that for other technicians. Most of them were able to follow the BIP just as I did for just as long, if not longer than I had to sit there and listen to him holler. Some of them did not. And we got to see the repercussions of that. So just keep that in mind that that is something that can and will happen. And I've had had behaviors now after being in the field for a while worse than that. And I, but I've had a lot more that are, um, you know, not that intense. And that's not to say that if you are being taught something and you feel very uncomfortable about it and you're like, I don't know, this seems wrong. You are allowed and able to speak up and say something and be like, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. I don't like how this feels and just kind of go from there. Being able to talk and communicate is also a major part of this, but that's just not something that I learned in the very beginning. So yes, having a willingness to learn, but also have a willingness to actually learn. And part of that learning is asking questions, which is fine. You are allowed to ask questions and a good BCBA will be so happy and willing to answer those questions. So if I haven't scared you away with the harder parts of being a behavior technician, now we can talk about kind of like the easier parts of being a tech. I wouldn't say easy. I would just say less aggressive parts of being a tech. So we do also teach life skills and functional communication training. And what that is, is, you know, teaching them how to wash their hands or how to ask for a bell pepper. <laughs> um, and those kinds of things are super rewarding, especially for families who have really struggled with that and having like those basic skills can really change everybody's lives. It's, they're extremely important. So one of my favorite uh, examples of behavior skills training is when I had the opportunity to teach a little boy how to effectively brush his teeth. I know that might sound really weird, um, but he just did not know how. He was so funny about it. Um, he just, number one, he didn't know how to hold the toothbrush. Okay. So it was kind of upside down and he was like holding the toothbrush like over his face to get the brushes like on his teeth. So his arm was like blocking his eyes and he was so cute. So I had to walk him through like how to like hold the toothbrush first and then Okay, so we hold it, and then this is how we turn on the water. This is how we put on the toothpaste. This is how we brush our teeth. This is how long we brush our teeth for. And at the end of it, he was, like, trying to sing while brushing his teeth, and it was the first time I had ever done something like that. And it was really cute, and I could see how rewarding it was, not just for me and for him, but for his mom, too. She teared up. I teared up because she teared up. It was, it was really heartwarming. It was super, super cute. So there's like stuff like that. There's hair brushing, which I've done a lot of. I've taught um, little girls how to put their hair into like ponytails. And one of them I taught how to braid, but first I had to teach myself how to braid. I know how to braid like other people's hair. I just don't know how to braid my own hair. It was a whole thing, but I figured it out and I taught her how to do that. And it was really special. And then there's my least favorite part which would be um, potty training. I really hate potty training. It's gross. 
not a big fan of it. I don't know anybody who likes to potty train. I feel like I would think that was a weird person if they really like to teach kids how to potty train. I don't know how I feel about that, but I just don't like potty training. It's important. I get it. I, I would do it. I've done it. I just don't like to do it. And then there is, um, what else are we talking about? Oh, functional communication training. So functional communication training kind of goes over how the children are able to uh, communicate, which could include both uh, devices where they can push buttons to say what they need and be able to verbally speak. Um, sometimes we are teaching them sign language, which if you don't know sign language, that's okay because neither do I but I know some words in sign language and for the age group that I had it with, like that was enough. And we don't fully take the replacement of any kind of like speech therapy or speech pathologist. We do lace a little bit of foundations, but just as the family would. So just speaking to them, talking to them, showing them how to use their devices, telling them what's what, things like that. All right, so that's pretty much what the job of a behavior technician is just at a glance. Um, so now we're going to talk about how we become registered behavior technicians. And that starts with the 40 hour training. Now this 40 hour training is a series of videos mixed with hands on training that equals about 40 hours. Well, I say mixed in my training, I was lucky enough for my 40 hour training also consisted of hands-on stuff through my company. A lot of other places just give you the 40-hour training videos like you would if you worked at like Wendy's or Dollar General where I've worked at both and had to also watch those videos there. So you'll have the 40-hour video training and I would personally recommend finding a job that has the 40-hour training already in it and really do your research when trying to find this job. I suggest in a clinic that has okay reviews and that can give you the training for free where you can actually get paid for taking the training. A lot of the 40 hour trainings outside of a workplace are not for free. And when you're all done, you will need a BCBA to sign off on that training for you so that you may take your, uh, what is that? Your exam to become a registered behavior technician. So please, if you haven't already, just start thinking about that because it does make a difference, I think, in how you begin in the field and get your foot in the door and how you feel about the job in general when you are in a clinic setting. I have seen and heard a lot of horror stories about people trying to do it on their own or outside of a job, and it just doesn't seem very viable. It seems really, really hard and stressful, like way harder than it needs to be. Plus, as I said, in the clinic I was at, I got to learn about it in the videos, and then they gave me hands-on experience after I had learned about it in the video. I thought that that's how it was across the board, and it is not. So just really keep that in mind as you are going through all of this. Um, so yeah, so you do the 40-hour training, and hopefully it's a paid training and you don't have to pay for it. There are some online that are for free, but again, I don't know how well they are. Anyway, so you do the 40-hour training, you learn about the definitions and how to do stuff and all the bookwork and the terms and blah, 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 blah. 
but you also need to be able to prove your skills with the client. Whether you already worked hands-on during your training or not, you are going to have to show that you know how to do it. And this is with a BCBA, and you will do that through your competency exam thing that they give you. And it's just like a list of the major things that you need to have retained during your 40-hour training. And your BCBA will go through stuff with you where you will have to either role play or show your skills with the client. I prefer to show my skills with the client other than role play during my competency stuff because I just think it's more natural and it's easier than looking at a grown adult and trying to fill out a token board when they're staring at you and then they end up throwing a garbage can at you. And if there's the BCBA that trained me listening to this, you know who you are and you were wrong for throwing that garbage can at me and scaring me. Anyway, so I prefer working with the children rather than an adult, which is a common theme for me. But you cannot sit for the certification exam without completing your competency. You have to be able to submit the competency when you take the exam or like right before. To take the exam, you need to submit your competency. And in order to submit your competency, you need a BCBA signature. So you'll go through the whole thing with the BCBA. And depending on how well you do, they will sign you off and send you on your merry way. There is a possibility that when you are taking your competency that you don't meet certain standards for it. And that's okay. That just means that you have more to learn. So what you will do is that you will focus on how to hone those skills. You will work with maybe a lead RBT. Hopefully you will work with some really great BCBAs that can show you what you are missing and give you tips and tricks. I strongly recommend leaning towards the BCBAs because that's kind of like their job. But it's also really great to learn from other technicians, but make sure the technicians that you're learning from are ones who actually know what's going on and not ones that are just like, oh yeah, I definitely know what that is. And then just guess and it's, it's a mess. Anyway, so you'll complete your competency. You've passed with flying colors. You're so smart. You did such a good job. So now what's next is that you need to submit your signed competency into the BACB and they'll give you the green light to schedule your exam. Um, I had to take my exam at a testing center. Some people now are taking it online. I don't know which one. I feel like in-person would be better because the Pearson testing centers are scary. But like I've heard horror stories of people who took it online and their like computer died or they were accused of like looking off to the left because if you do it online, there's like this person who sits there and watches you take it. And this one girl told me that her eyes, like she just like looked to the side because her cat had jumped and the Pearson testing person had turned it off real fast and told her that she was done with it, that she, she couldn't do it anymore and that she failed. So then she had to retake it all over again, which by the way, I think it's, I don't know how much it is now. When I took my exam, I think it was $30 to take the exam. I forgot to add that in there. Anyway, back to this. So if you take it online, just keep that in mind that they're going to be super freaky and like, I don't know. I don't like that at all. I feel like that's really weird that you're watching me that close that you can see my eye shift. In the Pearson Testing Center where I specifically have the experience, I got the pleasure. So I walked in. And this lady gave me this like piece of paper in like this little plastic folder thing. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I went and I sat down and I took it out 
and she yelled at me for taking it out and I was like oh I'm sorry I didn't know and she was like they need to stay in the plastic slip and I was like I'm so sorry and then she told me if anything like that happened again that she would kick me out of the testing center and I was like okay and then she called me into this room and there was like a couple other people in there and I don't know I don't think they were all taking the tech test I think that they were just in there suffering along with me with but with other things so I'm in there and I'm taking the test and this one kid sneezed and the person went over to him and she was like you need to stop do not do that again and he was like I'm sorry I just sneezed and she was not having it she told him that if it happened one more time that he was going to have to be done because he was a distraction to the other people it was also like really cold outside that day and I felt really bad for that guy so you're in the Pearson testing center like me you're with me in my head right now we're taking this exam together we're sweating we're but we're powering through okay we're trying to learn and remember all those things like okay got it check 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 so you get through it and you go and you hand the test to the lady and she's going to put it through this little scanner and if something prints out she hands it to you and it says congrats you passed you passed if she hands it to you and there's a number on it that means that you failed which really sucks because the test is 80 questions long but they kind of trick you because 10 of those 80 questions will be exempt from the exam which 10 how will you know which 10 do you know because i don't nobody knows which 10. you don't get to pick like you just don't know they'll just take away 10. just 10 of those questions won't matter it doesn't matter if you got those 10 questions right it doesn't matter if you got them wrong they're just going to randomly be like this one doesn't count this one doesn't count this one doesn't count why do they do that i don't know that's really stupid to me because we try really really hard and it's like haha gotcha right at the very end like okay i thought there was a tech shortage now here you are just crapping on me anyway i think you're allowed to miss like three or four questions i think all the questions are worth like three points i think you can miss like three or four questions before you fail and if you fail, they will tell you how close you were to succeeding. But if you succeed, you will never know how close you were to failing, which could be a metaphor. I don't know. Seems kind of inspirational to me. So the kinds of questions that will be on the exam really range from the definitions to scenarios. And did you know that it is like illegal for you to be able to share? Well, illegal, B-A-C-B illegal, okay? But it's illegal for you to like memorize and share what questions were on the RBT exam. Did you know that? That's a real thing. They had an issue with that at some point, obviously. But who's going to sit there and remember all 80 questions? Like, does somebody just remember one question and they were like, no, that's bad. Like, I get you want like good solid text, but I feel like, I don't know, it just seems like super, super extreme to me to be like, mm, don't remember any of it. Like, I won't. I won't, I promise, I won't remember any of this. This is super stressful to me. This is going to be a trauma response for me now. And also on the exam, there's going to be things that you did not learn. You didn't learn them. There are going to be weird words on there that you are not going to understand. You're going to be like, oh, this wasn't in any of the things I was learning. This, uh, this term is nothing to me. This means mumbo jumbo. And that's maybe what some of the terms will say to you is mumbo jumbo because I saw a couple of them and I was like, I don't know what that is. Oh my God, help me. Anyway, so yeah, varying from definitions to scenarios, 
But I think that if you just kind of study for it and you do your very best, you're going to be okay. There's a lot of like mock, free mock RBT exams out there on the internet that you can get like really great access to. Literally just Google it and you'll find a couple of them. Um, Quizlet has a bunch of stuff on there and there's just, there's just a lot. There's a, there's a ton of it and you can also do it yourself. That's what I did. I just made like a bunch of flashcards and, and there's like a bunch of videos out on the internet that other uh, BCBAs have made for the RBT exam. Like you just go on YouTube, you can find some stuff. There are some people out there who have stuff that you pay for and you're like, oh, look at this. Like this will help you pass the RBT exam for sure. Buy this now. Don't pay for it. Unless you really want to, unless it has like this really great aesthetic, there's no reason. It's not necessary for you to have to pay for study material for the RBT exam. I would really recommend not doing it unless you really, really want it. But they really are not super necessary and you can do it without it. I am the worst test taker in the world. I'm really bad at it, but you can do it without it. If I can do it, you can do it. My advice would really just be stick to the free homemade note cards, the practice tests, the YouTube videos and talking to other behavior technicians. Um, BCBAs are also really helpful because they do know all the information, but a lot of them have never been RBTs. So it's just better, I think, to just talk to other technicians, especially ones that just took it. And just kind of remind yourself before you go in to take the exam that you don't have to be perfect. I felt like I kind of put it all on myself that where I had to know everything and be able to do everything perfectly. And I really felt bad about myself for not being able to do that. You know, I wanted to be the very best. I wanted to represent the best, but I was not the best. And I really, I beat myself up for it. But all we really get is a 40 hour training. And if we're lucky, some hands-on work in between that or even after that. So please allow yourself to have some grace and understanding for yourself because it's hard. It's a hard thing, especially if you're brand new in the field, especially if you've never worked with children before, because that happens too. And as long as you're really trying your best and working to become the best that you can be, you're going to be okay. When you take the exam and you're like, I don't know anything. I don't know everything. Your BCBA signed off on your competency. So you must know some things. Okay. Relax. So if you went through all this and you're like, okay, I can't find a job that is willing to help me take the exam first. Like I need to already be registered before they will let me work here. I feel you. Okay. I have friends that have been in the same boat as you. And if you cannot find a place that is willing to help you through your certification process before you start, there is a free version of training online that you can take. I have briefly looked it over and it goes over what you need to know for the competency I wouldn't say it's the best training in the world. On a scale of like from terrible to amazing, I'd give it a solid okay. I don't recommend it if you actually want to get something substantial and if you're not really that great at teaching yourself skills. It will do, but there is just so much more elsewhere. Either way, you need a BCBA to finish and sign off on your competency before you can even sit for the exam test. And a lot of times, if you try to find a BCBA to do that for you, they will charge you money, which sucks because it's like, okay. And how much that costs really just depends on the BCBA. Some might charge you $125. I've heard of someone charging like $300 to sign off on somebody's competency. And for what? 
for them just to ask you a couple questions and then sign their name on a piece of paper that they're never going to see again. I just think that that's not right. And if you ever come across a BCBA who wants to charge you that for signing off your competency, please don't do that. I, I cannot stress that enough. Do not let yourself be scammed by the people who are making all of the money, okay? So maybe if it's a possibility, contact the place that you want to work and let them know that this is how far you've gotten in your adventure and you need a BCBA to sign off on your competency and just see if a BCBA there is willing to do that for you. And if it turns out that a BCBA is not willing to do that for you, maybe consider that that's not a, the best place to work. I would honestly just go try to find somewhere else because they're not even willing to support you into getting your certification, but they already want you to have your certification. So what about continuing your education? Are they going to be supporting that too? Or is that just going to be put on the back burner? So try not to put yourselves in those kinds of situations. Um, but it's kind of for those reasons that I think the independent certification process doesn't really seem worth it to me unless it's like your last resort. Please try other places. You know, it's better to be paid for doing something than having to pay for doing something. So, you know, you're certified now. Now what do you do? You can work in a clinic. You can work in a school. You can work in the community. You can work here or there or anywhere. But you can only work somewhere as a registered behavior technician if you have a BCBA working with you. You are not able to work as an independent contractor. It is a no-go. You are not allowed to go rogue. You don't get to just do it because you feel like you know all of the things now. You have to work under a BCBA and have one supervising you at all times. Then once you have a BCBA, you need to make sure that you are acting with fidelity, ethically, and with the utmost of integrity that you can be because if you don't, you put the BCBA's certification and livelihood at risk. They are in charge of us. If we mess up very poorly, it looks bad on them and they will probably have to go through like a evaluation process or something, which really would suck for them because they have their master's degrees plus like the ABA program. You have to do like two extra years of something or another, which is a lot of work. I don't know how far ahead in your education that you guys are, but school sucks. I hate going to school and I can't imagine going through all of that just to have it squandered or questioned because a behavior technician decided to mess around and find out. So let's be courteous. Let's be kind. We don't want them messing with us. We don't want to mess with them. Behavior technicians and behavior analysts are a team. Anyway, after you pass your exam and you're doing all this great stuff and you're finally a certified behavior technician, just know that they're not going to actually give you like a certification. They'll send you like an email saying, congrats, you passed and like give you like a printout saying congrats, you passed, but you're not going to actually get like a certification. I just want to make that clear because I was also confused because I was like, that's something I want to frame. I'm not going to frame this paper that says good job. But anyway, that's all you guys really need to know about uh, how to get certified and like what the job kind of entails just very briefly. Because there are other things that are part of the job, but it's just it's too much. It's like a million different things. That's like 19 different episodes of the podcast that you can look forward to listening to next time. Where can you listen to the podcast? Wherever podcasts are listened to. I'm on Apple. I'm on Spotify, Google, YouTube, baby. I'm there. You can also find me on the Instagram at Behavior Text Anonymous. 
on Facebook for the Behavior Techs Anonymous group that is only for behavior technicians as a safe place for us to all be together as one. If you would like to ask me any questions privately, you can email me at hello at behaviortechsanonymous.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at behaviortechsanonymous.com. Thank you for coming to the second meeting of Behavior Techs Anonymous. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you at our next meeting, where we are going to be discussing how I became a behavior technician in detail, in raw, uncensored detail. So make sure you like, subscribe, follow me, whatever you got to do to be there for that. Okay, so I will see you guys in two Tuesdays for our next Behavior Techs Anonymous meeting.